Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and joining me today is my co-host, Forefront Chairman, Rich Chrisman. Hi. And we have a very special guest today, and that is Eva Ting. Eva, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Eva is the Director of Events and Programming at W83 Ministry Center. That's the home of Redeemer Westside Church that also serves as a community and cultural center on the Upper West Side of New York City. Her interests lie in cultivating spaces for community engagement and designing art experiences and events that invite the public to participate in thoughtful conversations as well as thoughtful action. So excited to talk about that today. Um, prior to her work at W83, Eva was the public programs coordinator at Times Square Alliance, executing public art installations and events in one of the world's most iconic urban places. Eva lived in Shanghai, China for several years and directed Two Cities, a gallery that specialized in contemporary craft and hosted music and cultural events, including a well-loved jazz performance series. She's also a member of Christians in the Visual Arts and served as a board member. What so, a resume. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes it's like, I don't know what I've done. And then here's someone else read it. It's like, oh, I did do that. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. The, I, just I promise, the highlights. We won't make any more of this interview feel like a job interview. That was it. That part's out of the way. Yeah. You got the job. So I see Thank on your wow. resume here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are the benefits? <laughs> so many benefits. Um, so I first met Eva in New York earlier this summer, and I was making a video for for the Goldenwood Dream Forum. So that that was fun. Eva, did you end up seeing that video? I did. You guys did a great job. It's a great video. I felt very inspired by it. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Thank Beautifully you. done. Thank you. Well, it was great to have you on it. Um, it was it was fun to to hear the stories of, of all of these different dreamers um, and and what they're working on. So, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, Eva was on that video. She was talking about her new ministry called Here to Honor. And um, in this interview, I think we're mostly going to focus on her work in art curation. But I do just want to take a moment to acknowledge Here to Honor because I know you're putting a lot of work into that, and that's that's a new um, initiative for you. So, did you want to just give a brief summary of what that's all about? Sure, it's a startup that launched uh, a little over a year ago now, and it's basically a curated uh, and centralized hub for end of life and funeral planning resources. So mm-hmm. wanting to just make that available for people, whether they're pre-planning or whether they're, you know, in the moment in the, in the, in the aftermath of losing someone and trying to figure out all, all, all those, all that stuff. So yes. that's kind of, it's another form of curation um, mm-hmm. in terms of collecting and putting together the resources and service providers that people need for that stage of life. Right, right. So you you kind of listen to the different questions that you got and mm-hmm. the things that people were looking for, and, and you're helping kind of put all that together in one place. Exactly. Yeah, making it more accessible and easier for people. Right. That's that's beautiful. So, um, listeners, if you want to learn more about that, I will I'll actually put a link in the show notes to the the video about the Dream Forum, but also the the Here to Honor website, so you can you can learn more about that. But now we come to the, the first official segment of the interview, which is our lightning round. And, um, and, <laughs> and the lightning mm-hmm. round is where we'll ask you a series of short questions. And, and you can just answer it with the very first thing that comes into your head. Just whatever pops into your head. 
So, oh boy. So, okay. yeah, so zero, zero preparation. Strike a few times. Here. Yes. I know. Um, Good thing I didn't do happy hour before this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not quite there yet. So <laughs> that's um, for interview two. Yeah. So first question: What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh gosh, so many places come to mind. The first was actually probably Thailand. I think the mm. first time I went to Thailand, uh, yeah, standing by the ocean in Thailand just was amazing. Well, that leads uh, into our next question. Do you prefer mountains or beaches? Ocean, ocean all the way. Mm. Anything near water. Okay, we're moving to the arts here. Which musician or singer-songwriter do you listen to most often? You know, I'm not a huge music person. Um, I listen to a lot of music, but I don't have like a favorite per se. Mm -hmm. I will do a plug for my friend Hanukkah Castle, who is an amazing uh, violinist. She's a fiddler. She does a lot of Scottish, Celtic um, folk music. So I listen to her music a lot, but I've actually been learning to a lot of, I've been listening to a lot of Latin music Mm. since getting married a a few years ago um, to my husband, who's Dominican. I've been listening to a lot more Latin music, which is super fun, like bachata. That's probably my favorite uh, form of uh, dance music to listen to right now. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Um, What, if this applies to you, what TV show have you watched the most often? I mean, over the course of my life, I would say Arrested Development. (laughs) It's probably still one of my favorite shows. Um, Recently, I've been obsessed with Only Murders in the Building. I love that show. It's so good. And I think also because I work on the Upper West Side and you just see all the little, you know, little peaks of the neighborhood yeah. on that show. It's very true to what the Upper West Side feels like. Mm-hmm. I like it, and I don't even know if I've ever been to the Upper West Side, so that <laughs> that really speaks to the show. I mean, they pretty much nail it. They, they really nail it in terms of the people on the show and the feel of the neighborhood. Great. That's awesome. So now on to, on to your forte, visual art. If you could put one piece of original visual art in your home, and this is regardless of its current location, price, or availability, uh, what would that piece be? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I've ever really thought about this. I think um, there's an artist named El Anatsui who makes these beautiful like tapestries, mm. um, but they're made of like bottle caps and just, you know, um, sort of these just like uh, discarded materials. His work is so beautiful and sculptural that um, I would love to have that in my house somewhere. I just really love the, I think the idea of transformation of materials and then also just the unexpected beauty, you know, that that process can bring. That's beautiful. If you could put together a gallery of three artists, living or dead, who would they be? <laughs> oh my God. These are like questions I've never thought of. It's like really putting me We're on We're expanding the horizons here. Yeah. I know. Starting and now my, I'm having like brain farts because I'm trying to think who I would do. Okay. Um, we gave Eva zero prep for this. So. We, we won't hold you to this. So, you know, not as much pressure as you may be feeling. It is recorded though. Yeah. So, okay. I actually have to, this is terrible. The, um, Best I artists. <laughs> I know. Well, there's okay. So there's a, there's actually um, 
there's a lot of sound artists. That's very, I think sound mm. art is actually really mm. interesting. This new kind of, you know, scape, uh, like kind of um, the soundscape and how you can pair that with art. I love that. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember there's a piece. There's actually a piece I saw recently. Um, well, there's an installation I saw recently that's not sound, but it was paired with sound in a really creative way mm-hmm. um, that is done by Studio Drift. Mm. And it's um, it's this installation at The Shed, which is this new um, performing arts, visual arts space that's over in Hudson Yards in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But um, there is this one installation where it's basically like these giant blocks and they look like they're made of concrete, but I don't think they are. And they are suspended in this really tall vertical space. Um, but on certain days they do a performance where this is all like choreographed and these blocks move through space to Mm. music and it's really otherworldly. Like, I don't know how to describe Uh. it. It's something to be experienced in person because video and photos just don't do it justice, but it felt like this really otherworldly experience and sort of like, you know, the movie Arrival, Mm -hmm. that's what it reminded me of just like this kind of alien thing that's there. So I think something like that with like studio drift and this kind of installation that moves paired with music, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of creates a whole environment. Um, I think uh, Janet Cardiff and the 40 part motet, that would be a piece I would love to do. I've, I've experienced it in a couple different settings and depending on the physical environment, the, the sound hits you in different ways. It's basically a sound mm. piece where it's a recording of a choir that's singing and there's all these speaker stands set up and each speaker stand corresponds to a singer in the choir. So in the making of this piece, each each singer had a mic and they were, you know, recorded their specific part. But then when you set up the, the finished product, depending on how you set up the speaker stands and the space that it's in, you basically Mm. are immersed in this like song with all these voices around you. And it can be incredibly moving. I mean, I, I think I cried the first time I experienced it because it was in an exhibit that was also honoring like 9-11. So it's just sort of like loss and I don't know, there's a lot there. So that's two artists. I can't think of a third one right now, but those two come to mind of just like using space, transforming it, giving people a different unexpected sort of experience. That's so cool. Well, God willing, we'll be asking you to, you know, put together that exact gallery for <laughs> Forefront Festival in the future. No. I would love yeah, that. 2022. Yeah, Let's do it sounds it. so good, though. I would love that. Well, good, you survived. Good questions, by the yeah. way, guys. Way Thank to go you. with the lightning round. Yeah, you survived the lightning round. And now Ooh. we will move on to phase two. So I'd, okay. I'd love to ask you some questions uh, along your forte, as we said, the topic of our curation. Um, and this is something that for Forefront I've dabbled in to some degree. And so I'm very uh, – I, I really admire you if you don't know this already. And so I'm very oh, – uh, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. But first, I actually have an audience question uh, from Sasha Halleck. Um, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, Sasha Halleck is a contemporary painter living and working in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asks you, what drew you to New York City and what keeps you, he says here, but what keeps you there? 
Yeah. Well, I came to New York for grad school. I've always wanted to live in New York. And when I lived in Shanghai, I would come here for conferences a lot. So I uh, moved to New York 10 years ago to go to grad school at NYU and to pursue a master's in visual arts administration. Um, what keeps me here, honestly, is the people, the community. I have really good friends, lifelong friends who have ended up moving here for different reasons, made new friends who feel like they're going to be lifelong friends. Um, and just, you know, I think constantly meeting people who are thoughtful and curious and talented mm -hmm. and willing to re-examine the world, you know, in different ways. And and who really love the city. I think I'm very privileged to know people who are not here to get what they can out of New York, but that they're actually here to contribute to the good of the city and to the, you know, and for the, the welfare of the people of the city. Mm -hmm. So that's what really keeps me here is just the most amazing community of loving, talented, thoughtful, responsible people, yes. <laughs> you know, and it's such a, it's such a joy to have these people in my life. It's awesome. Uh, I am curious. I've talked to a lot of people uh, who live in the city uh, about different the effects that the pandemic has had on New York. Have you noticed like a substantial change in uh, any of the, let's say, like the energy of the city uh, since the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. I think a noticeable, I think a noticeable energy is people who like the sort of transition. New York is always kind of a transient city, but I know a lot of people, especially people who work in the arts, you mm. know, who are, who are actors or musicians or visual artists who've had to leave the city for one reason or another. Sometimes it's because of better opportunities. Sometimes, you know, some of it was because of just the kind of economic downturn the city went through and the difficulty in finding work. And especially when the Broadway theaters were all closed, um, so that's been a noticeable energy of a lot of people leaving. But at the same time, I think we're in a season now where people are, are coming back or moving here for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, it's a different energy. Um, I think also the, in a way, you know, with the pandemic and everyone having to rethink how they do things and pivot mm -hmm. in some ways it's given more opportunity, right? Because, um, you know, for a while, like space was, there was a lot of space and not a lot of people using these spaces. So there was creative opportunity there, or even the transition to virtual platforms have given some artists and musicians, you know, a, a, a broader access to audience, right? And, mm -hmm. and different ways of doing things. So I think in some ways, that would be an interesting thing to see how that continues is if those new and innovative ways of doing things will continue to grow and give more people opportunity. Um, Cause that's one of the tough things I think of being in the arts in New York, it's an expensive city mm -hmm. and it's hard to be here and to do your art and to find, you know, good platforms and galleries and ways of doing that. Um, everything has a cost here. And so if there's a way nice. to sort of flatten some of those costs, it, I think it can benefit artists. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That brings me to another audience question, this time from Amy Lee Watkins. Um, <laughs> she is the COO of Goldenwood. Um, she asks, I know there was a time when you wanted to be a journalist. So how did you come into the work of art curation? Was there one sort of pivotal point in the narrative or was it more of a slow evolution? 
And were there any key people who were influential in your vocational journey? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, everything that I've done up to now in my life has pretty much not been planned. <laughs> so I'll just start there. It is, <laughs> it's all been like not what I planned years ago. Um, so I originally went overseas to work in ministry and then ended up uh, helping out at this gallery that some friends started. And there was a very, you know, the, the gallery was started with a vision of um, this idea of really creating a space where spiritual things and faith um, could be really integrated, you know, into how the business is run, um, the kind of programs we do, the exhibits we have, the relationships we have art with artists. So there was always this intentionality behind it, which really drew me to it. Um, and I originally started helping out mainly because I'm an administrative person. You know, I, I like to organize things. I like, I like all the admin stuff that most people do not enjoy. Um, and I like to write and I like to promote things. And, and so that was kind of my entry was just really helping out with some of that stuff at the gallery. Um, and then as the gallery grew, as the scope of what we did grew, um, I learned that arts administration was a field, which I never knew. Um, and so that kind of then started this journey of, oh, I wonder what it would look like to actually study this. And like, what does this involve? Um, there were definitely very pivotal people in that journey. I think one person who continues to be an influence and a mentor, even if he doesn't know it, is Mako Fujimura. Yes. <laughs> Having had the, yeah, I think for many of us, he, us he is that person. <laughs> um, so I think having, you know, collaborated with, collaborated with him a bit at the gallery overseas, having gone to the IM conferences mm -hmm. when they were happening here in New York, having read his books, like they were really formative for me. Um, yes. Madeline Langle's Walking on Water was mm -hmm. a very formative book for me as well. And then in terms of the people I worked with, um, you know, our curator at the gallery was this amazingly talented and brilliant um, Chinese professor and artist named Shannon. And she, mm -hmm. I think working with her and learning from her and seeing how she worked with artists and thought about art just really, really influenced me. And the people who started the gallery, Phyllis and Scott Crosby, they're still dear friends today. And if it wasn't for them starting that gallery and giving me an opportunity to work with them, like I would never have, you know, learned all this. So mm -hmm. yeah, really grateful for the community there. Awesome. I'd love to go more now into your actual kind of the details of your process, but uh, I'm going to have to start that with another question from Emily Watkins. Um, uh -huh. She says, I love how you demonstrate such genuine encouragement and support for the artists whose work you are highlighting. How do you go about finding art and artists that you want to work with and what drives that process? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think here at W83, there's definitely an intention of how does... Well, this, I think the questions of why here, why now? Mm -hmm. For me, that's the question I always ask when I'm curating something. So even back in Times Square, um, I didn't curate the space, but I helped project manage and execute a lot of the projects. And I worked with an amazing woman, Sherry Dobbin, who was basically my mentor in that respect, um, in the sense of I learned so much from her about how you work with artists and how you curate 
with site specificity in mind. Um, so taking Times Square as an example, it's such a busy, big, iconic, famous place that when you think about putting contemporary art in there, there's all these questions, everything from durability, right, to like producing something that might get, you know, a lot of wear and tear from thousands of people interacting with it every day, you know, to like, what is the significance of having that piece there? and having that artist voice at this time. Mm -hmm. So kind of taking that and translating it to what I do now at Redeemer and at W83, for me, the question is always, why this artist? Why this work? Why here? Why now? You know, how do we, how do we have that conversation? Um, I find artists through a lot of different means. I think having gone to school for visual arts administration, fortunately put me into connection and relationship with a lot of people who work at different arts organizations around the city. Um, having gotten to know a lot of artists by doing studio visits. Um, and I try to go to a lot of, you know, art shows as much as I can. Um, and, and yeah, and, and get referrals. I think that's one of the things I've been most um, proud of here at W83 is the artists we work with are actually not all Christians. We mm -hmm. work with artists from all different backgrounds, um, different faith backgrounds. Um, maybe they don't consider themselves to be religious in any way. Um, but we're very honest about who we are and what we want to do with the gallery. And, you know, we're very transparent about that. And so the great thing is we've had a lot of artists, including non-Christian, non-religious artists, refer other artists to us. So wow. that's been, I feel like that that right there is probably the best compliment we can get is that other artists will refer artists to work with us here. Yeah, that's so cool. This is just, I'm already inspired, but just the <laughs> fact that, yeah, no, but I think the, uh, I'm just very inspired by that as I think about like, what is a way that, uh, that we can facilitate uh, like at forefront, we talk about mm -hmm. authentic faith, but also excellent art. And and yes. when we're working, kind of swimming in a stream of um, looking for artistic excellence, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's it's awesome to have that coming from a lot of diverse places. So, like I said, at forefront, um, we do a little bit of curation as well, and mm -hmm. we've come to see the process of curating, be it visual art or literature or music or whatever. Um, we've come to see or to see curation as a medium of art in itself and mm -hmm. one that's completely vital to the work of culture making. Um, mm -hmm. How would you speak to the idea of art curation being an art in itself? That's a great way to put it. Um, I love that you guys say that. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, it is an art because it's there. There's so much thoughtfulness involved, and there's an intentionality, right? There's always intentionality in it. Um, when I first started working here, I'll just tell a quick story to show the opposite of that. Okay. Um, the one of one of the staff who was working here, who's no longer here, but prior, he. Uh, I remember. Um, I think it was my first week here, first or second week here. He took me down to the gallery space in the building and he kind of pointed to the wall and was like, we want to get some art here. Just put some art up here. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not exactly how it works. <laughs> like, you don't just like, you could, but it's probably not going to be great. You know, yeah. something, um, anything, just something, yeah, anything. put some just, art in here, put some art up here. Um, and so I think that there is this intentionality behind curation. There is this question of, you know, 
what is the space? What is the point of having this exhibit? What, what is the, what is the narrative or what is the story that you want to tell or be part of? You know, who Mm -hmm. is the artist? What is their voice? What are, what is the conversation they're already part of? And what are they bringing? Who is the main audience? It could be a lot of different audiences, but if it's in a specific sort of non-traditional art setting, you know, who is the, who are the people coming in? How do you engage them with, with what, you know, with, with this story, with this narrative, with this theme. And so I think the, what I love about curating is actually asking all these questions beforehand and having these conversations and talking to artists. It's almost like dating in a way, you know, you're talking to them, they're talking to you, you're trying to see if it's a good match. You're trying to see if there's like some alignment there, if there's a way that as you collaborate, you mutually benefit from this arrangement. Um, and so I, I think what I love about curating is it's actually also the art of conversation. It's Mm. having a conversation in the preparation process, but then it's the conversation that then comes to life through what you, what you bring through the curation. Right. And you're just inviting more people into that conversation. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I definitely think one of the like often overlooked challenges of doing any sort of curation type work is the, the dating aspect, like you said, (laughs) which is the like, the the recognizing the fact that there are going to be people artists that you're going to you know be in conversation with and maybe far along in conversation and then something will come up and be like oh i i actually don't think that it would be mutually beneficial for us to continue mm-hmm. working together we have different visions or different aims or whatever that may be and i think right. that we uh we there's so much subjectivity in the art world these days that often i feel that people feel pigeonholed into being like, well, you know, I don't align with this art, but you know, but as you said, like there really is a purpose, a purpose statement even to like Mm -hmm. each space and each gallery, even if it's like a coffee shop that's looking to put some visuals up on the wall. So I I really like how you say that. Yeah. And I think another piece of that, that is very prevalent in the art world is artists are commodified, right? Mm -hmm. They are treated like, objects. They are treated like producers. And I think part of our call in curating is to actually care for the whole person. So it is also this very relational aspect of, I'm not in this to try to get something from the artist. This Mm -hmm. is for them as much as, as it is for our space and wanting to provide this art experience for people. Mm -hmm. So caring for the artist, you know, if they're Mm -hmm. a young artist, if they're an up and coming artist, part of it might be mentorship of like, mm-hmm. here's how you work with a gallery. Here's how you work with someone else here. Here are ways that are, you know, the professional way to do things. Here's how you can think about it. Here's how you protect yourself, you know, in this process, mm-hmm. there might be some of that. It might be, you know, with other artists, it's just, you know, maybe they're jaded. Maybe they've had galleries who treated them like commodities. Right. So how do we like humanize the process and really care for the whole person? Yeah. And that they actually lead this experience feeling like loved. Mm-hmm. Right? Like what a what a concept that artists would leave an experience, leave working with a gallery feeling loved and feeling yeah. more whole in some way. I think that comes alongside really well with the idea of like uh like the age old analogy of like uh an 
a piece of art being like born of the artist. Like it's right. something of, you know, and when we treat an artist or the artist's work as like just this commodity, like you say, rather than something yeah. that's like an extension of them or like a yes. piece of their, you know, soul that has come forth, you know, it's definitely harming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Exactly. And I think at, at Forefront, we have the, um, it, it, it could be a benefit or not, depending on how you look at it. But we work primarily with Christian artists and, and bring them in to, uh, you know, display their work or to perform. And, and one of my kind of joys in that is being able to invite people and be like, we want you, like you personally, all of you, not just your mm-hmm. art, not just your faith, but like all of it to, to yeah. come and be yourself and talk about all those aspects of what you do. Um, and there's so much joy in that, like, like inviting people to be people and not just inviting them to be like, come play your music, leave like that kind of thing. But it's like, but no, it's like, talk about all of it. And you know, that's why we want you is because of who you are. And that's, it's such a, if you can like make that happen Mm -hmm. in a space, it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love how you said that inviting people to be people, because sadly Mm -hmm. that's very (laughs) countercultural. Right. People are not always invited to bring their whole selves. Yeah. That's so true. I've found that I, um, I kind of fell in love with art at a, you know, I, I didn't have a lifelong love of art, you know, and I came into, I was almost an adult, I think when I fell in love with art and Mm -hmm. I, I am increasingly more interested in or, or attracted to the artist than the art because Mm of you know, like I see the art as kind of a reflection of who the artist actually is. Mm-hmm. And I okay. think that I've had the best experiences in, I'm thinking particularly of like visual art galleries, but like I see the work, I am, you know, I enjoy the work, I'm impressed by the work, but the opportunity to have a conversation with the person, that's like the the real experience for me. So yeah. that's been very cool. Right, yeah, yeah, love um, that. Yeah. So speaking of galleries and, and that work, um, can you tell us a little bit about the W83 gallery and also its relationship to Redeemer Church? Like what's the mission of the gallery and why is this something that's being sort of facilitated by a church? Sure. So W83 is the name of the building on the Upper West Side that um, Redeemer, it used to be a parking garage. So basically Redeemer Presbyterian Church purchased it, renovated it and opened it as um, a space for one of the church congregations to meet in, but also as a space where they could do other activities and open it up to the general public. Um, so this was, this was like, I think 2013 is when the building first opened as W83. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, there's been a lot of organizational changes within Redeemer. Tim Keller stepped down. Um, you know, the, the church itself has, is, has moved from being, kind of a big corporation with multiple congregations to more localized individual congregation, individual churches that are part of a sister network. Right. Um, so with that transition as well, W83 is now more identified as the home, um, as the building belonging to Redeemer Westside Church. Um, but with the, when the building went up, which was before my time, the, there was always this intent of creating like an art space. So even in this lobby area, there, you know, when they when they were renovating the building, they put in this like rack at the top of the wall where you can hang artwork from. 
So the idea was to always have this space, um, you know, where artists could show work. Um, but the question kind of, I think when I came on board was, how does that work? How do you make that happen? Um, and so it's been kind of a process of trial and error. Um, part of it, you know, being a space in the church, the art should speak to the congregation, right? There should be some relevance um, between the congregation and what they're experiencing, especially on Sundays and the art that they see on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the building is also open to the public and we have everything from synagogues holding bar mitzvahs and high holy day services to weddings to, you know, different nonprofits holding different gatherings in here, it's a pretty broad audience. And we're one of the few spaces on the Upper West Side that's like a public art space. There's not that many galleries and art spaces on the Upper West Side. Um, And so with that, you know, as we started to figure out how to make this work, it was kind of like, well, let's start with the artists we know, you know, at Redeemer. So let's start doing a few shows where it's artists we know. It's kind of low-hanging fruit, even though I hate that term. Um, And then let's go from there. And then as the gallery kind of grew, as we did more exhibits, as more people started coming, we started to expand that and to invite more more artists. Um, but real quick, I can I'm just going to read you what our mission statement is because um, I think that is kind of encapsulates well what the gallery does. Mm-hmm. Um, at the gallery at W83, we cultivate art and community on the Upper West Side, providing space for personal engagement community conversations and spiritual reflection and collaborate with local artists from diverse backgrounds to explore universal themes of culture, community, and faith. Mm. So we work with a lot of different artists. Um, We used to, we've kind of curated a lot of different themes. So for a while we were curating um, in line with the liturgical calendar. And so looking at the different liturgical seasons and different themes that we could pull out that are pretty universal and then lining up exhibits and curating shows to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular season, as we're becoming more integrated with Redeemer West Side, we are looking at the, you know, the church's sermon series and kind mm-hmm. of pulling from there. Very cool. What are the universal themes? You know, what are the, and again, it comes back to the universal themes because yes. ideally this is for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody that comes every Sunday or somebody who's just here, for an ESL program or a bar mitzvah, the, right. the art should should connect with. They should be able to resonate in some way in their own see way. It out of way. context of the local right. church, oh, yeah, they're, they're exactly. seeing it in their own context. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I love the idea too that uh, the Lord is the Lord of all things. So exactly. you know the fact that there are you know He's equally the Lord of dentists as He is of Christian art. You know exactly. And, um, yeah. And I think it really emphasizes this idea of third space, you mm. know, that, that, that art, um, that the art space provides a third space for people who might not otherwise walk into a church building. Yeah, yes. You know, they'll come. I mean, we have a lot of people who come to our openings um, who probably would not otherwise step into this building. And we have some regulars. We actually just had our first in-person art opening reception a few weeks ago. And like since, you know, since the lockdown in New York and everything. And we had people who came by who were like, I'm so glad you guys are back in person. Like they've been looking forward to coming back and seeing art shows. And these are friends from the neighborhood. You know, they just, they show up for these things and they feel a sense of connection and relationship here, which is great. 
And so I do think that it provides a safe third space for people as well. And it kind of changes the idea of what a church can be, what a church building can feel like, you know, that, that, that interaction. Only friends in the building. (laughs) Right. No murders. No murders in the building. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say, I, I feel like um, it, it strikes me that a lot of times Christian artists look at their local church and they feel like it seems like the only art the church cares about is worship music. <laughs> like, well, wow. yes, we're for the arts if you want to come play worship music. But if you're right. doing anything else, we're not really sure what to do with that. Um, yeah. It's not It's not like we can put your art on the walls yeah. kind it, of a thing. It ranges um, from like awkward <laughs> to afraid. Like, uh, yeah. 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 What, what would we do with that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it or sounds, it's like, oh, we need like a program artwork we need like yes. something for like advent or easter yes. so yeah. can you draw something for that <laughs> yeah yes. very transactional right yep and it sounds like your your work is almost directly answering that question of like mm-hmm. what how might the church support art besides the typical in church art what else might be done and it seems like like your gallery is like answering that question and that third space idea is perfect for that because the truth remains like there mm-hmm. are m- many types of art that are maybe not you know appropriate for like the walls yeah. of of a church or, or a just worship service right. yeah. yeah and and it makes sense to have a space where that is not only welcome, but like celebrated and fostered. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will, I will give a shout out to Christians in the visual arts, Siva, because yeah. they have also been super helpful and formative in this. I think, especially when I was on the board, like bouncing ideas off people, processing things. Um, but I, I feel like that organization has provided a lot of resources and they actually put out a great handbook few years ago that's specifically for how do you create a gallery in a church and it's it's, it's fantastic do you have it yeah it's so great because there are really specific questions Mm -hmm. right there are really specific scenarios that churches have to deal with if they want to do this um and and there were and they're all good things to consider and not insurmountable but there are things that have to be considered yeah um but the i think any church that's willing to kind of go out there and kind of do this, that's awesome. We need more spaces like this. We need more safe third spaces for people, you know, and, and not just make it like all about this like kind of defined church experience, I think. Right. I have one more question for you uh, from Misato Peng. Uh-huh. And she asks, uh, what does empowerment look like for you specifically as an Asian American curator of art? Ooh, good question, Nisa. Okay. Um, empowerment look like I, well, yeah, I think as, as an Asian American female who's, you know, curating a space in a church that's in a denomination that's predominantly male white leadership, the denomination Mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's, I I appreciate that the leadership here is very trusting of me. I really appreciate the relationship I have with the pastors here. There is a lot of trust. Um, They don't question a lot of what I do and they're very encouraging. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's something about 
building trust with leadership, especially if the leadership is more like the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for leadership to trust me, that is a huge like gesture of empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to question or criticize what you do. I'm not going to be like micromanaging. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like I want to trust you to do this and to know what, where we stand in our mission and vision and to know that you are thoughtfully, prayerfully doing this. Um, so I really appreciate that. I really appreciate, um, I think in terms of other forms of empowerment is it, it does mean that, you know, for me, I think I also have the responsibility of the voices that I bring into the space, mm. right? The, the diversity of voices that I intentionally bring into the space and, and think, and kind of understanding where I'm coming from, you know, my own experiences and perspective. And as I bring in other artists, like how am I creating space for, for other diverse voices? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, for, for me to do that, I think there is a, a level of trust, right? Because the voices I'm bringing in might not always be representative of the demographics of the congregation or the denomination. So is there trust, you know, that, that I'm not going to like sabotage this, right? right like right. that I'm doing this with like not malicious intent, not trying to stir up trouble, but really wanting to bring the richness of diversity, you know, to, to the experience here. Yes. Wonderful. So as I was, I was, I was listening to you talk about, about the way you think about your galleries and, and as you, you almost think about like a mission statement for your different, uh, different art installations and galleries. I realized that this particular question might change a little bit, but I wanted to ask you what you wanted people to walk away with when mm-hmm. they attended one of your galleries. And I realized that, you know, maybe, maybe that, that answer might be different depending on the situation and like, like the setting and the goals of, of each particular gallery that you curate. But, but kind of just, just how do you think about that? How do you think about the results of your work? Um, that like, what, what does success mean when somebody experiences a gallery or an art experience? Um, how would you want that, that you've, done to to change or affect them yeah i think um yeah that's a it's a great question there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that people can be impacted there are certain exhibits we've done where um the the theme or the the subject matter is a little bit more closely tied with a social issue so Mm -hmm. we've worked with a photographer who does these amazing portraits of formerly incarcerated women who have come back home and are readjusting to life. And so, you know, for something like that, my hope is that it deepens empathy and understanding for people who may not have had that experience, that it humanizes and kind of puts a a face, right? Puts a story to something that feels maybe abstract. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that, I think that to me is one of the, hopefully fruits of what we do is that it, it really deepens and strengthens empathy and the ability to understand another story. Um, I think also, you know, my hope is that it, I, you know, people don't have to like all the exhibits that I curate. They might Mm -hmm. not like the art. That's totally fine. You know, they don't need to love every single exhibit, but I hope Mm -hmm. it prompts questions. It, I hope it stirs up something where, 
people ask a question or, or kind of th- see things in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, think about something in a, in a new way. Just, just open up your perspective a little bit to, con- to maybe consider that something that you've held might have a different perspective. And it just feels like, especially during this time mm-hmm. in our country where things are very polarized, where people have very strong opinions that are held very tightly. Yes. How do we just start to say like, let's just like make it okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, let's make it, let's make it okay to like even ask questions of yourself, yeah. right? That that's not a bad thing. And so to me, that is what I hope with the exhibits we do is, you know, sometimes there's like humor, like there's exhibits we've done that have been really humorous to me. And, and just like, I hope people laugh. I hope people have some kind of, you know, that they're able to tap into some emotions and awaken maybe even something in them that's mm-hmm. either humor or wonder or, you know, whatever that might be, or love, right? That there's something that moves them a little bit, opens them up a little bit more. They feel a little bit more open than when they walked in. Yes. That's something that that art, all of those things, you know, are things that art does so well that that maybe other things can't do. Um, like I know, yeah. I know when you were talking about the strongly held perspectives, you know, Mako talks about artists as border stalkers. And I think of that, like we're kind of on this border and you have these different camps, but it's like the art is almost this, this portal to a different perspective yeah. or point of view or a different camp that it's like, I, that people didn't give themselves permission to access that until right. they engage with the art. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's cool. also why I think I'm drawn to art in non-traditional places, because when you go mm. to the Met, you're expecting to go to a really nice museum. So you walk yeah. in with a certain kind of expectation yeah. and preparation, right? But if you go into a space where you're not expecting art and you encounter art, it's a little disarming. Mm-hmm. And it, I think there's a different expectation around that and a different sort of relationship with it. Um, and it's more accessible. It's not in a white box gallery space. There's not like somebody shushing you, you know, as you're looking at art. So it's like a different, it's a different environment. And I think the environment is also really important in, in curation. And that's why the pairing of the art and the environment can be so powerful. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to zoom out and ask, you know, as you think from your perspective as a Christian Mm-hmm. Um, we we ask this question of a lot of people, which is like, why should Christians care about the arts? And I think you you've given a lot of answers um, through this about like like the power that art can have and the ways that these galleries can impact people and and that sort of thing. But I I just wanted to ask that kind of that kind of bird's eye question of like as you think about the role that art plays in the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. um, wh- like why why should Christians Maybe, maybe if they're not artists, just they're just people engaging in daily life. Like why, why might their faith lead them to care about art? Why not? <laughs> Would be my question. You just flipping the question. About, <laughs> yeah. Why, why do we care about anything? Why do we care about education? Why do we care about science? Why do we care about technology? Right? Like why do we care about any of these things? Part of it is because it's, you know, we've been called to steward a, wor- a world this is a world that God has created. He has put things in us. He has put, he has, he has put his image on us. We're his image bearers and he's mm-hmm. called us to steward this world. And part of that includes all these different things, right? But then also I think specifically, I think because 
art is such a portal, like you said, it's such mm-hmm. a, it's such an entry into this other world. It helps to cultivate wonder that there is actually this, you know, whether an artist, everybody has some spiritual element, even if they don't identify themselves as such. So I think there's an even greater stewardship in art because there's also this like spiritual element, this otherworldly element, right? This, this prophetic element that, that is embedded into the very nature of what art is. So Mm -hmm. we actually have a great responsibility in, in how we steward that. And and so that would be my, I mean, why, why do we care about anything? Yeah. And if we care about it, if we're called to it, if this is part of creation and we're called to steward it, then we are called to steward well. We're called to steward with excellence. Mm-hmm. And so we have to consider that. And I, you get me thinking too, again, talking about the the third space idea. It's almost like, like you say, everyone has a spiritual element, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it almost, we've come to this place in the world where a lot of times people that encounter the spiritual through, you know, I'm doing air quotes, like traditional church, right? People who right. encounter the spiritual through church are, perhaps less likely to be people who encounter spiritual things through art. And those who kind of tap that spiritual uh, well through art, you know, uh, maybe they're not the same, you know, the same people that are getting it through church or whatnot. And uh, a place where art, because like art is kind of universally accepted as a spiritual experience, you know, Mm -hmm. um, across cultures and everything so that mm-hmm. that uh transistory zone is is essential i think yeah yeah there's a poem that christian wyman wrote that i just reread the other day about how you know all my friends are finding basically like other beliefs right and it's like everything from like mm-hmm. midlife crisis type of stuff to you know, converting to other religions, the things like soul cycle. I mean, that's basically like a religion <laughs> to a lot of people, right? So it's this idea, like, yeah. but it's this idea that we're all searching for something and we all need some kind of, even if we don't call ourselves religious or spiritual, we're all looking for something to like mm-hmm. kind of, kind of anchor our beliefs around. And I think the beauty of art is, because a lot of people like they, the, the ways that people love art and music, it's religious, yeah. Right. The the sort of adherence and uh, and just passion around it. And so it's like the, it kind of opens up the space for this. So we you know, we we need to be aware of that and we need to be I mean, I think we have a responsibility to be intentional in how we engage with that and and walk alongside other people for whom this is more of a spiritual experience than going yes. to church. Yeah, so sometimes I feel like um, Indiana Jones walking away from the building after they've taken the Ark of the Covenant away, and it's like yeah. they don't know what they've got there. And it's like that's like yeah. in regard to the arts, you know, it's like you don't know what you have there. It's something so like powerful and yeah. and sacred and beautiful, and it's like on, on the one hand so exciting, um, but also like a like a high calling for yes. for how we present art and how we use it and how we yeah. shape those art pieces because it's like there is that spiritual connection Mm -hmm. that it has. Mm -hmm. Um, I have kind of a, my own working definition of like the chief function of art. And Uh I don't don't know if this is right, but it's something like um, that art awakens our awareness of and and our desire for the transcendent Mm. and like the extent to which art is like great is, is in some way the extent to which it does that. 
Um, and I think like when I think about the most beautiful art pieces across all mediums, whether it's like visual art or film or music, all the things I love, um, it, it kind of does that. There's like something transcendent that it, that it connects you to. Um, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I just thought of a third artist, Kusaba. Her, I mean, talk about transcendence and creating space, right? And just through her work, it's like you can enter this other world mm. and you, you, re, you reimagine. And I think that's part of what you were, you know, I love that working definition you have because it's Thanks. like the transcendence and it's like reimagining what the world can be. Yes. Right. And like, like seeing what the world, the world that is possible. Yes. So I have, I have one more question and, and this comes to um, a question that, that Zach will often ask in some of our interviews is like, do you have like a challenge or an encouragement for Christian artists? Um, but, but I wanted to put it in this way, which is just thinking about the Christian virtues and, and you talked about how, um, just like in inviting people to, to be people and kind of engaging with people and not just art is really important. And that, and that reminded me of like when, when we do things, just thinking about it, it's not the thing itself maybe that's most important, but how we do it Mm -hmm. and whether it's um, that I'm working on a video or a forefront festival or, or, or whatever it is like living as a Christian in that process is maybe just as important or more important than the output of what mm. we're doing. Yeah. And so I, I just wondered how, how you thought about that. Like what is, um, what are kind of the, the Christian virtues or, or aspects of Jesus's character that um, Christian artists need to cultivate today? Or, or, or maybe a weakness that you see in, in a lot of Christian artists that, that maybe if we were to grow in that area, then our, our witness could be enhanced. Wow, that's a really good question. You guys have great questions, by the way. Thank this you. This is a really super fun conversation for me. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that. Tell your friends. I, I certainly will. I'm going <laughs> to we'll, share this with everyone I we'll, know. We'll interview your friends too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I could definitely uh, recommend some folks if you need more people to interview. I would love that. Um, I think the, uh, you know, taking even a step back from artists specifically, I mm-hmm. think I think the kind of fundamental call for us is abiding in Christ, right? Like mm. what does it mean to abide in him? What does it mean to get ourselves out of the way a little bit or a lot? Um, if, if, if I did a better job of doing that, if I abided in him more and, let the spirit lead instead of me getting really self-conscious and fixated and feeling imposter syndrome and wanting to perform, um, it would be different. Right. And so I think this question of how do we, as people who follow Jesus abide in him continually Mm -hmm. and be faithful in following the spirit and letting the spirit guide, what would that look like? What would that look like for my art? What would that look like for my relationships? Um, and, and I think especially for artists with, you know, inspiration and creating work, like what does it mean to, to let the spirit guide that, you know, to, and and that's one thing I, I mean, Nate, you know, this from the Goldenwood video, but one of the things I learned this past year with Goldenwood, um, and the dream forum was just how to listen more, 
And so if we spent a little more time just listening to the spirit, um, I think it makes a big difference. And it, it's, it's me getting out of the way. You know, I, I just, that's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot lately. How do I get out of the way? Absolutely. I don't know if it's like, it's not artist specific, but it's like yeah. people, human specific, I guess. And the idea of stewardship ties beautifully into that. Mm-hmm. If I saw what I do as not something that I have to own and control yes. and like force, yeah. if it's something that I'm just called to steward mm-hmm. and the spirit owns it and he's leading it, that's a very different perspective than me trying to force something to work. Absolutely. So much of the pressure that is so crippling comes off when we yeah. remember that we are, you know, very well-designed conduits for yeah. the, po- you know, for the will of God and the mm-hmm. power of God and the love of God. And yeah. um, I just think that when yeah. we think to ourselves, I think as, well, anybody, this applies to anybody, but I think uh, in our, myself as an artist and artists that I've talked to, we are so anxious about yeah. how things will turn out or whether yeah. our work or ourselves will be accepted or, yeah. you know, or whatever. And, um, I think one of the most freeing things that an artist or a curator of art or, or anyone can, uh, accept. And I thought of this when you said abide in Christ, like, mm-hmm whether or not our art is approved of or accepted or, or whatever, or even completed in the way that we believe it should be, you know, mm-hmm. if we abide in Christ, he's going to use that effort yes. in the way that yeah. it is supposed to be used. You know, yes. like yeah. God's will will be done with that work, whether it's the way you expect it to be or not. Yeah. yeah, totally. And we often, I think we sometimes focus too much on like the product And like, instead of like, like we still have a call, like we can't be lazy, right? Like Mm -hmm. letting the spirit work doesn't mean that like I lay on the couch and eat chips and watch Netflix. Like wait for the spirit to exactly like do your thing. But it means that I actually also need to be faithful in the discipline of doing the work, Right. right? Like of, of working on the skills, right? Like doing whatever, like doing the work still, but focusing more on like, on, on being in that discipline as opposed yeah. to like, I need this to be successful, yes. which I feel like often we sort of focus more on like, I want that to be successful, but we're not doing the day to day practice and the discipline that that actually requires. Right. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I feel like we talk about fruit, like, well, doesn't God care if my work bears fruit? And it's like, well, Yes, but remember what the fruits of the spirit are, which are love right. and joy and peace yes. and patience. Yes. And like, yeah. if yeah. the fruit of your work is not those things, then are you are you yeah. doing it his way? Right, exactly. It may yeah. not be like followers yeah. or money, but like if it's the fruit of the spirit, like coming forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. we made it. Well, Eva, thanks so much for answering our our many questions and for talking with us today yes thank you yeah thank you this was really fun i appreciate the really thoughtful questions you guys have and it's a fun conversation we look forward to speaking soon yeah i'd love to be in person next time yeah (laughs) yes yes we'll uh we'll have a we'll have a coffee or an alcoholic beverage (laughs) and talk more about these things but thank you guys and thank you for everything you do with forefront as well for sure 
Listeners, you can learn more and connect with Eva at the W83 website at 150W83, so 150W83.com, or at the Redeemer Church West Side website at RedeemerWS.com. And you can connect with us at Forefront Festival, of course, by subscribing to this very podcast, following Forefront Festival on Facebook or at Forefront Fest on Twitter and Instagram. As always, listeners, keep striving for excellent art and authentic faith. Until next time.